Do you know who was named the best putting mat in 2022 by my golf spy? It was the mats from Birdie Ball. It'll help you sink more putts and make more birdies with a Birdie Ball putting green, all in the comfort of your own home. Check out Birdie Ball online at birdieball.com. Birdie Ball is here to make golf more fun and accessible. Find out more at birdieball.com. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, new sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grilling at the Green here in Portland, our base uh, stations. Yeah, KPAM 860 AM and also in Texas, Oklahoma and on the Golf News Network uh, channel on iHeart. Uh, this segment of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. Check out Painted Hills Natural Beef online and you go to their online store. You type in the code BBQ Nation and you get 15% off your order. That's kind of a fun thing. And also John Breaker and his crew over at Birdie Ball. Well, I asked an old friend of mine, not that he's old, he's a He's old, old, old friend, <laughs> Jim Dodson. If, and if you're not familiar with Jim in the golfing world, uh, you probably lived under a rock. But um, Jim's a well, well-known art author and uh, award-winning author. He's won the uh, Herbert Warren Wind in the USGA International Book Award, uh, International Network of Golf Media Awards. Uh, uh, the Donald Ross Award. I don't know. I can keep going, but yeah. I, I think it's a little superfluous there to do that. Jim, how are you doing, bud? Hey, buddy. Nice to see you. So what's uh, Jim Dotson been working on? It's been a couple of years since you've been on the show, I think, or yeah. at least a year. Yeah, I, 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 I joke to friends. It's kind of, we moved up from Pinehurst to Greensboro, my hometown. It's only about 70 miles. And I joke that Pinehurst was ruining my golf game, which really, in a weird kind of way, was true. I I was running three arts and culture magazines that I st- started and edited, and um, in addition to my golf books. And I love golf. I love it. I adore, I adore golf, but I never, I, did, I didn't have golf buddies. So my wife knew that I wanted to spend the balance of my days writing golf books. So we moved up to Greensboro five years ago. You and I've talked a couple times since then. And the idea is that uh, I would just cross 56 feet of space from my back door to our garage, my garage office over the garage to, to write about the game I love. So I I'm, I'm actually working on three books this year, which is a truly a formula for madness. Um, <laughs> one's almost finished on the great wagon road. I hope to finish it in a month. The other is, uh, is, uh, I'm very honored to have been asked to write the Peachtree golf club, book, uh, club book for, for Bobby Jones's club in Atlanta, which is just mm-hmm. an epic amazing place just wonderful the best maybe the best club i've ever seen and i say that as seminoles historian and others it's just a wonderful place really reflects the culture and values of bob jones and uh, and uh and then i'm starting a, a project project with reese jones about his career and i just came back from this trip to england playing taking my taking my best buddy of 58 years we started playing golf when we were 12 with and against each other uh, we, I, we talked about, we both belong to a, a wonderful old club in, in, in North Devon, Royal North Devon called Westford Ho for 15 years. So this was a trip. We both turned 70 this year and this, we decided we were joking about it last year. What are we going to do for turning 70? 
Patrick McDade's his name, and he used to go with me on journey trips when I worked at Golf Magazine and Departures and American Express. And I went all over England and Scotland and Ireland. He sometimes went with me. He'd just grab his bag and go with me. So we made decided to make this last trip. We got Donald Steele, the Dean of British Architects, to set it up for us. And we went from Deal and Prince's in the East, where uh, Saracen and Hagen won their first British Opens, all the way to Rye and West Sussex and Walton Heath, where they're playing the Women's Open this week. We were there last week, and I'll just insert this. It was the hardest rain. It had been raining, it, the rainiest month in England's history. History. And that 18th green you can see on TV was about a foot underwater. <laughs> so then we went to, then we went to, uh, uh, we went to Westwood Ho. We finished, we did nine courses in, in 10 days, uh, wore ourselves out, got caught in rainstorms, had a blast, probably lost 25 golf balls in the massive knee deep rough uh, and, and had the time of our life. It was really, well. and that, that will probably be a book about saying goodbye to old friends and old courses that we loved. I might call it farewell to golf just for fun, because even though, you know, Sam Snead once said to me, uh, I was interviewing him and he said, son, how old are you? And this is 25 years ago. And I said, well, Sna Mr. Snead, I'm about to turn 40. And he said, oh, it's the best time of life. He said, you know, your job's good. You're making good money and you're probably playing a lot of golf. I'm going to tell you something, boy, you blink your eyes. You're going to be 65 or 70 years old and you're going to be saying farewell to golf. Here's the thing. You better be playing all the golf you can grab. <laughs> well if you're going to say farewell to golf and travels with the antichrist is that going to be the subtitle well he i i i think he i think he was a little sensitive about that and even though our eight golf buddies up here in greensboro were like yeah that's a great title travels with the antichrist um it, <laughs> he, he mentioned in the prologue i call that we all call him the irish antichrist because he's so charming he's he's really one of the most charming and he charmed his way across england i knew he would we were getting free beer in pubs, and um, he's he's a character. And it really is. This book will be a, really a celebration about a longtime friendship and a shared yeah. love of golf, which I think will be fun. Might sit on the shelf with final rounds in a weird kind of way. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's I wanted to ask you this when I was putting this together yeah. last night. Yeah. Is yeah. final rounds your most notable book i mean you wrote a book about hogan you worked with uh, arnie on his book yeah. and that but yeah. you know final rounds is how you and i met yeah i mean final rounds this is the shocking thing i mean it's shocking and startling for me i mean it's close to nine hundred thousand copies it sold around the wow. world and you know you can't do it you, you can't control how a book sells obviously you let it go it's like a child you just, just send them off in the world I just, it always amazes me. And on this trip, I met a lot of people in nine different British English golf clubs, some very old ones and very old ones. All of them are old. Uh, who had The read, clubs or the people? Well, both. Okay. Uh, and uh, they, they received us so warmly because they all knew final rounds and many knew the Hogan biography. Uh, a lot knew American Triumvirate and everybody knew Arnie. So, mm -hmm. I think they were, please let me turn this off. I think they were, I think they were, um, I think they were just pleased that we kind of are off the beaten track, you know, visiting these places where the game really grew. There's a marvelous book out now um, called uh, The Long Golden Afternoon by a lovely fellow named Stephen Proctor. I, I, it's my favorite golf book in 10 years. It's about how England kind of took over golf around 1900 when J.H. Taylor, a member of Westford Ho, by the way, where we were and we were members, 
won the British Open at, at Deal and um, changed the whole course. I mean, England began grabbed the game, and and you know, in like 1900, there were 200 golf, 150 golf courses. By within 10 years, there were 1,200. Right. The English went mad for golf. Now it's ironic because we did the same thing in America. You know, we took it from them around 1910 and and took off with it, and 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 now the rest of the world. It's a beautiful book. I it, uh, and these clubs are obviously mentioned all through that book because these were the foundational clubs, as was Hoylake, where they just played the British Open. You know, I got to tell you, Jim. A little side note here: the way that yeah. lump, that lamp is positioned behind you, it looks like Walter Hagen is wearing a skirt. <laughs> it does. He's leaning on a putter. Yeah. Uh, Deal, this is funny because Deal was the second course. We played Princes where there's a wonderful story about Gene Saracen and an old caddy that he resurrected and helped him win the, his British first British mm-hmm. Open. And just down the road is 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 Deal or Royal Sinkports, as they call it. A fabulous, wonderful old club. Hardest golf course I think I've ever seen. Of course, we were playing it in a gale. And when, when Hagen was playing and won there, that's where he... You know, the British clubs didn't allow pros into the pro shop. So right. uh, this is 1920. And so he he uh, he made a demonstra- quite classy demonstration. He he rented a Daimler uh, uh, limousine and had it uh, tea service and food service set up out directly in front of the clubhouse and served the pros completing in the competing in the open lunch. And the members were so outraged, their outrage turned to embarrassment. And they soon opened the club to the professionals. And, of course, he did the same thing uh, the same year at Inverness, not quite as dramatically. But uh, that opened uh, that opened the American pro shops to right. pro clubhouses. And Hagen sent them, as a result, at Inverness, a beautiful grandfather clock that still stands in the foyer of that club. So it's a really wonderful story. Anyway, this place, so Hagen, when he played that course... Yeah, uh, he said uh, he did, they asked him how it was, and it's brutally hard. He, uh, he said, "Well, the first nine is a lot of fun, but not much golf. The back nine's uh, not much uh, is 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 a uh, lot of uh, a lot of golf and not much fun." <laughs> <laughs> and it is true; it held up. We're going to take a break here on uh, Grilling at the Green. Jim Dodson and I will be back with your golf trip travel tips. Say that four times, Jim. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling Anthony Green. Don't forget, you can uh, find us anywhere on social media these days. Any of the platforms that you listen to your podcasts on, that version of the show is always out there. Um, And we've got the Portland Classic coming up uh, August 31st through September 9th out at Columbia Edgewater. I played at Columbia Edgewater about a month and a half ago. It was great. And as I promised, here is your golf trip travel tip. I have to slow down when I say that because even as many years as I've been doing this, Jim, I still get tongue tied over certain things, you know, like that. Um, here's a little thing about protecting your clubs when you're traveling. There are many good cases and covers out there to protect your clubs uh, from the baggage handling gorillas. Uh, hard cases are the best, but sometimes they're a little tough to get in smaller rental cars. I actually use uh, a soft case called the golf club glove. 
G-L-O-V-E. Um, it served me well from uh, across the pond to all over this country. It's a soft case for extra protection. It's got that arm in the middle that you can attach to it. Another precaution that I always use is I remove my club heads and slip them in the side pocket so they don't get busted off. There's your travel tip for this week. And that's brought to you by um, Weston Kia. Since uh, 1975, the Weston dealerships have been around uh, Eastern Portland there. And uh, they're a great family. I've known them since I was a kid. They have one thing on their mind, and that's customer service. So check them out at Weston Kia over on Stark in Gresham. Now let's get back to my buddy Jim Dodson here. So <clears throat> you you gave me a great segue there, Jim, and you didn't even know it. You know, there's a big kerfuffle. There has been for years. You've got mm -hmm. certain people like uh, Jack mm -hmm. uh, saying, got to roll the ball back, got to roll the mm -hmm. ball back. And now some of the clubs, the pro tours especially, have come back and said, we're not going to roll the ball back. You've got the huge companies, the, uh, you know, Titleist, Callaway, those, they're not interested in recalibrating anything, even for a small group of people. Mm -hmm. oh, and after your most recent trip to um, the UK. I wanted to get your take on that. You know, I, I asked a couple of people on our journeys of what they thought about that, and it didn't seem to register. Uh, I think that's because, they, I mean, they t said the same thing. They said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's time. I mean, Arnold and, and Jack were talking about this 20 years ago. That right. The, you know, the technology is, is speeding along at such a rate that it will make golf courses obsolete. Well, first of all, uh, Ain't no golf course I know is going to be obsolete because of golf ball. Um, and secondly, uh, it's a little bit like the whole Tiger argument uh, when they were suddenly saying, "Oh, we got to have courses that are seventy-eight hundred, you know, seventy-eight hundred yards long, long, just to sort of keep keep to Tiger proof it." But Tiger's father came out and said, "No, actually, you need to make a course that's sixty-two hundred yards long that the average average player plays, narrow the fairways, deepen the rough." Uh, gouge out the bunkers and make the greens run like the hood of a Buick and you'll yeah. bring shot makers back into the game. At the end of the day, it is shot making. And I think I have changed a little bit on the subject. Uh, moderating a view, I did believe that that like tennis, golf could accept, a, you know, a, a standard ball and each of them make it. I, I don't, I don't, first of all, I can guarantee you that the top amateurs and their competitions are not going to use that ball, mm -mm. right? And, and 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 unless you impose a fiat from the top, the RNA, I'm pretty sure, and I'm in the RNA. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna demand it. Um, so I think it's it might be a moot argument. I, I honestly think um, I think they could do more for the price of God by bringing the prices down. And you know what's interesting, Jeff? I when I went to buy golf balls for this trip, knowing that we were going to play knee deep rough, and I probably <laughs> need twenty four ball golf balls, if not more. And we actually did end up buying more, by the way. Uh, uh, I noticed that, that Dunlop has come back and Wilson's making new balls again. And I think there's a kind of a soft underbelly now of, of the ball market instead of paying 65 bucks for. And I love Titleist Pro V's. I've played with them forever. I adore the company. I have the irons by them. Uh, but, you know, I think golf, my, my big fear, and this I heard from a lot of people, was golf is pricing itself again out of business. They were saying that. 10 years ago when things collapsed in 2013 and 14 and people say, Oh my God, golf is too hard, too expensive. And I think we're in danger of being that way again, you know? So I, I would concur because, uh, through the COVID deal, yeah. um, right here where I live, you saw yeah. golf just explode. 
just because it was the only thing that was open or one of the few things that was open. All right. So the COVID thing has calmed down mostly. And um, we still have a high rate of participation. Right. But I've noticed that on one of my favorite clubs, which shall remain nameless, not too far from where I live, uh, it is. If you went back and look at their rates from, say, four years ago, there's a there's a 30 percent or better increase in that. Yeah. Yeah. And. No, no, I was just going to say that. This time of year, because it's the middle of summer and all that, I don't play there because there's no reason for me to pay 80 bucks around. That's crazy for a, you know, Tuesday afternoon golf game. Look, I, I, I have very strong feelings about this. Uh, I, and I, I, my, my old friend, Bill Campbell, and I used to talk about this all the time that when you start getting, and, and this is, you know, I remember when the golf, the green fees down at Myrtle beach jumped up to like $125 and people were screaming, you know, I think it's called greedflation. I mean, it's the restaurants in America have all put their prices up and they haven't come down, you right. know? So, you know, uh, I don't think you're going to see them come down there. They built, they put, built, they did their, redid their menus and they're trying to recoup all this money they lost. Well, I think that that sounds good. If you're, a, you know, you're a, you're a, a vendor of uh, golf balls and golf courses, but the, be very careful because this is a game that, you know, um, and I and I have to say I was dis- I'm dismayed when I see what the costs to attend like a, a USGA event and and and, and a mm-hmm. US Open are going up to. Yeah, I mean seriously, I'll tell you what. Two of the, I, I was with a wonderful pro named Andrew, Andrew Reynolds, who's been the head pro at at, at Beal. For 45 years, he's retiring in the next two, eight weeks. Uh, and just a charming, funny guy who really almost goes back to the age of the, of the Giants. And he said something really interesting. His shop is eccentric. It's, it's beautiful and stuff. But but he also has a secondary. He works on clubs. He is a club builder. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is being lost. And he said, in fact, golf pro shops are turning into, turning into um, boutiques now. Golf was falling up. There was a golf course a day closing in 2012, 13, and 14 in America that because they weren't getting the play, and it's starting to happen again. I heard of a couple courses here in North Carolina that are closing their doors because, you know what, their land's more invaluable than people want more houses than golf courses. Right. It can happen again. Be very careful. We're going to take another break. We're going to be back with Jim Dodson right after this on Grilling at the Green. Do you know who was named the best putting mat in 2022 by my golf spy? It was the mats from Birdie Ball. It'll help you sink more putts and make more birdies with a Birdie Ball putting green, all in the comfort of your own home. Check out Birdie Ball online at birdieball.com. Birdie Ball is here to make golf more fun and accessible. Find out more at birdieball.com. Welcome back to Grilling Ants Green. I'm JT. Today we're talking with uh, Jim Dodson. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. And also, I invite you to go to pigpowder.com. This actually is a fold over Jim for my other show, the barbecue show, but uh, pigpowder.com has been awarded the best rub on the planet. And so um, 
I use it. Actually, I do use it, and uh, it's great stuff. So go to bigpatter.com. We're talking with Jim Dodson here. You know, we were talking in the last segment, Jim. I can give you a prime example of that. The other thing that exploded in the COVID era was grilling and barbecue because people were home. Yeah. And and uh, the grill manufacturers were just going huckledy buck. They couldn't get grills out the door fast enough. All right. Mm-hmm. So then they thought, aha, this will last forever. So yeah. they built a lot more grills. And then as COVID kind of faded away, all of a sudden, even the big box stores, um, you know, yeah. Best Buy, uh, those kind of things, they cut their orders. They cut them by two thirds. Wow. wow. And, and so there's, and there's still, there's a residual effect of that. There's still lots of barbecue sitting in warehouses waiting to be shipped to somebody someplace sometime. And and it's, it's hurt that business because they didn't use the right analytics or whatever to figure out that as this tapers off, people are going to go back to work and they can't do it. So I think that's a really prime example of that. And it's kind of a shame. Um, like you said, it, it's a it's a lot of greed. I've seen a lot of pro shops taper down. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, your average weekend golfers, the ones that I know, they're not going to pay 150 bucks for a shirt like you were just, uh, you yeah. know, giving an example yeah. of. They're not, they can go online and there's, discount stores up the wazoo yeah. across yeah. the country yeah. and the, and so why would they go to a pro shop and pay you know 270 dollars for a seven iron when they can buy that exact same thing for 165 or whatever the numbers are online yeah, yeah exactly and wait a year and you'll get them even cheaper yeah and there's nothing in the check technology is still the same yeah look i don't know maybe that's the frugal scott in me i come from pure english and pure scottish <laughs> ancestry so i guess i'm also i think that was again i know i'm harping on this but i think that's one of the things that kind of restored my my faith and i love going to england and scotland rurally and and you find these clubs where they're very simple um um again royal ashdown which is one of the early old english clubs it was so simple inside not a lot of lavishness painted very clean uh and they they had a, a nice dining room but you know uh, a classic lunch available uh, sometimes you wear a necktie and a, to lunch um, yeah. but they've relaxed a lot of those but i just found the ease of those clubs so much better than so many country clubs or worse the big resort clubs where you walk in and all you can feel is the pain in your wallet before you even take it out you know it's just it's just uh it used to drive me crazy when I was uh, editor, golf editor and correspondent for Departures magazine. And I could count on one hand the high end resorts where the service really was great service. And the rest of the time it was some 22 year old in Ashworth condescending to you, you know, looking right. at your name. So yeah, I, I, I know it uh, kind of makes us sound like uh, old fuddy daddies, but uh, you and I are close to the same age. But but growing up and doing the things we did, I remember now this, of course, we'll never get back to that. But growing up in high school and in college, if you had 25 bucks in your pocket, you could go play golf 
and have a cheeseburger to turn or whatever, you know, example. I like can it. tell you one that will astonish you. When when my buddy, the Irish Antichrist and I were like 16, 17, we got our driver's licenses. On a summer day like today, you could drive down to Pinehurst and, and pay 20 bucks and after two o'clock in the afternoon and play number two all you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is um, to uh, exemplify what you were just talking about. They had uh, on a bunch of courses around here, pre-COVID, they had what they called the sunset rate, okay? Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if it was two or four. The The time varied right. per individual course. Right. But yeah. you could buy a sunset card, I'm going to say for 250 bucks, yeah. and you just showed up. There was no fee if you bought the card, right. and you could play as long as you wanted the rest of the right. day. Right. You know? But they've all taken those away. Yeah. And I that that to me is very sad. I, I guess I I mean, you can't, you know, new golf clubs that open up golf courses that open up. I mean, the joke is it's the third guy that makes the owner makes money. Uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking of one right here in, in Greensboro called Greensboro National. I remember when it opened about 25 years ago, and it's a really very pretty golf course. And it's gone through three owners, I think, and the guys that have it now are, are we're, I'm going out Saturday. My club is closed for a, the club championship. So a bunch of us are going to go play the Greensboro National. It's a wonderful course. Um, and it's, I think it's $41. You yeah. Know? I mean, I can handle that. You know, if you, uh, it, it, I mean, it just seems fair. Uh, it's in great condition. They've proven you can, you know, you can, you can run a, a nice club like that. Um, I guess it just to me the sticker shock of what what's gone on in the golf world to me is I, I think it again it it's it's what the moral lesson was again the Great Recession or even after it you know it, that didn't that was the hangover from that was 2013 14 and 15 right it really wasn't until about 2018 that golf courses began to steady themselves you know so I, I think we just we don't seem to learn that lesson. And I don't hear a lot of I don't hear a lot of voices. Barney Adams was such a crusty old bastard. I love him to death. He's still out there in the desert. Uh, but he was the first to really talk about things like, you know, uh, advocating uh, playing from the proper tees when you're a senior. Move mm -hmm. on up, you know, 300 or 400 yards. Uh, also, he believed in economy. I mean, he, his Adams clubs were really priced well. And if you notice now, I think there's a number of manufacturers are getting that. Uh, there's a couple top top companies have come back and their, their technology is really as good as almost everybody else. And they're selling them under the, under the, uh, you know, under the ceiling price of so many of the name clubs. Sure. Well, that's, I always, you know, I talk to a lot of golfers like you do, Jim, and yeah. I always kind of wonder, and a few of them that I know well, I will needle a little bit. And it's, do you really need a five hundred dollar driver? Yeah, I mean, it. Look, I play golf with you. We're we're both average handicaps. We yeah. enjoy, we love the game, but I know you can afford it. But right. is it? But has it really helped that? And then you watch him hit the ball, and no, not so much. <laughs> yeah, he still slices, he hooks, whatever he does. <laughs> you know, my buddy, the Irish Antichrist, good example. Now he's a very successful guy. He works in the home improvement world, and he's a he's an industrial rep, and he's a wonderful guy. He's a great character, and he loves he 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 got on a Hogan Jag. In fact, I gave him as a gift 
the 50th anniversary Hogan cap that I got when I was working on the Ben Hogan biography it just happened to fall 1953 to 2003. And um, so I gave it to him. It's well weathered and he loved it. Now, this is because he, so about a year ago, he got Hogan irons and wedges and he loved them. And the company, that company since gone under by right. the way, or some, somebody bought them up and he loved them because they're, they're, they're forged, they're handmade, they're really beautiful. Uh, and so then he got this idea of getting a original set of the Hogan edge clubs. So he finds some guy in Massachusetts who's, who he buys them from him like $600 because, you know, they're original Hogan's and he has them re-chromed and drilled. And then he has them, he has them, uh, has our club maker down here, Jack, the lofts up a little bit, you know, to modern lofts and, and he's playing really well with them. But I said to him, Pat, so what did you end up playing about, you know, paying about, you know, $1,200, <laughs> $1,500 for this 30-year-old, 40-year-old set of clubs, right? Yeah. But he's happy. So if he's happy, I'm happy. I can still out drive him and out hit him by a mile. And I proved that across England. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was his response to that? Oh, he just laughs at me. Yeah. You know, he said, he said, well, you'd bought a new set of clubs. I did. I bought a set of Titleist T300s because I was using pings, which I love. Uh, that were 10 years old, 15 years old. And I'm now weaker off the tee. I no longer hit an eight iron, 125, 145 yards. You know, I hit it, I hit it, if I'm lucky, 130. And so that's a 15 yard difference. And, and that's why this book, the, the Long Golden Afternoon, is such a beautiful book to read because you begin to read about the club makers and how even then, when the technology was so revolutionary starting about 1900 to change the face of golf and then it comes to america and it just explodes you know? oh yeah uh we're going to take another break we're going to be back with jim dodson right after this on grilling at the green stay with us hi everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. We're very lucky to have Jim Dodson with us today. Uh, Jim is going to stick around for after hours because I've got a whole litany of questions for him that he has never heard before from me. All right. And we're going to torture him with that. Um, you know, you, you've been active in this. First of all, our, the the Wagon Road book, you've been talking to me about that book for like five years. Has, yeah. Yeah. Is it going to get done? It's almost done. That's when I, I'll finish by the end of September. Um, the um, the thing about that, here's an 800-mile road that 150, 200,000 Scotch-Irish, Germans, Lutherans, Moravians, Quakers came down to the middle of, down the Appalachians to the south, all the way from Philadelphia to Georgia. And uh, it it's the, was the most used road of colonial America. Yes. And I, I decided because my Scottish and English ancestors and my mother's German people all came down it, that it would be really fun to travel this road to see if anybody remembered it. And I found a lot of characters, a lot of flame keepers, a lot of characters, oddballs, history nuts, uh, yep. local historians. It's been a wonderful journey, but COVID landed right in the middle, right as I got down to the southern part of it. So I hurriedly finished it. And there were still some people I needed to see. So it just kept me off the road for two years. Right. Uh, you can go see people. I wasn't going to interview them on the phone. So that's what delayed it. Uh, nothing more dramatic than that. It's almost done. Uh, it's a kind of a timeless, it's a timeless story because what I tell the story is through these people, mm -hmm. you know, 
about what happened. And this is a road where you had the biggest battles of the Revolutionary War, the biggest battles, key battles of the Civil War, Antietam, Gettysburg, all on the Great Wagon Road, the, the original Great, Great Wagon Road. And, you know, that. so I, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to just sort of write a history. I wanted to bring it alive with people today who live that history. So that's what that's the approach to the book. And that's almost done. So thanks for asking. I'm sure my editor at Simon and Schuster, you know, told you he was going to um, buy lots of barbecue sauce from you if you uh needle <laughs> I needled you yeah well i didn't mean to put you on the spot but i i am i am ex- i'm actually excited to read it because i'm a big history buff good, so good. so um and my ancestors came out on the oregon trail and um hmm. all that way back in the started 1859 out wow, here wow, so wow. they've been around a while um yeah. we've got three or four minutes left here jim um we didn't touch on it very much, but give me your two and a half minute thumbnail on the live PGA tour situation. Well, my, the short answer for me is I, I just found it incredibly disappointing. Um, I, I, I find it, I found it actually was offended. I watched the, the, the congressional hearings and I hear a guy from the PGA tour saying, Oh, we're doing this because they can, they have so much more money. They can buy us. They could buy our, our buy us out and steal all our players. And my answer to that was, when in American history, in American history, has an industry that uh, that means so much to the American people have, have would someone would throw up their arms and say, "Well, we can't do anything about it, so we're going to join them. We're going to let them have it." I found it. I found it just tremendously. And then these sycophantic uh, senators who were like, "Oh yes, well, I think it'll be great for growing the game. Growing the game for who?" I mean, do you honestly think the Saudi Arabians really love golf? They see it as an investment that will pay them to be into, uh, will ease their burdens um, uh, for what their human rights record has been like for the last mm-hmm. 30 years. I, you know, I just, it, it, it bothers me enormously. Um, I think it's, first of all, I can't even imagine anybody that really loves golf is going to be tuning in to watch teams of golfers play professional golfers. Seriously, there's three events that I can think of the Walker cup, the Ryder cup and the president's cup. If you want to see it's a great team events and a regional competition, I, I, I just think, uh, it, to me, it, it, it's just smacks of greed. Also, it's that same kind of greed. I, it's fine. You want to do it, do it. Um, I know I won't watch it. I can tell you that out of the two people on this uh, show today, I'm probably the only one that's actually played golf in Saudi Arabia. How was it? Sandy. A lot of, a lot of sand traps, yes. <laughs> a lot of sand traps. <laughs> did, you wear a, did you wear a robe when you played? No, you- no, 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 no. I didn't wear a robe. Uh, it was actually a little course uh, outside of uh, Darab that they, the oil companies built for their employees executives yeah yeah like that and it, it wasn't a very big course but it was kind of fun it was a little yeah, yeah. little Good. flag i could put there Good. and say hey i played golf i played golf on you know four Good. different continents that type of thing yeah. but yeah. um if you haven't read any of jim's books i would start with final rounds i was counting them up last night i think i've read five of you, five of your books over the years yeah. you read that five times yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've actually read it three times, and I—that's oh, no. the one book I actually recommend to people out of all the books I have and yeah. get sent. That's the one book I say if you want to read something really good about golf, read this, Thank and you. then do you that. Free vacuum, car vacuum cleaner. You're in the premium club. There yeah. you go. There you go. 
Jim and I got to get out of here. I will be back next week. Jim's going to stick around for after hours. Jim, thank you. You're very gracious as always to me. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week. Go out there, play some golf, be kind and have fun. Take care, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.